Hello, and welcome to the Dolby Institute podcast. This is a show about how artists use technology to tell their stories, and I'm your host, Glenn Kaiser. If you're curious to know more about the Dolby Institute, head on over to dolbyinstitute.com. There you will find information about all of our programs. You can access the entire library of episodes of this podcast, and you can sign up for our mailing list. Today, we are continuing our Academy Awards coverage with a discussion of Damien Chazelle's epic film about Hollywood's transition from the silent era to the talkies, Babylon. If you haven't seen the film yet, it is the exact opposite of a silent film, as it features an unbelievably complex sound design and mix appropriate for such a bombastic film about the Hollywood experience. Joining us today is re-recording mixer, sound designer, and supervising sound editor, Eileen Lee, supervising sound editor, Mildred Ayatru Morgan, and production sound mixer, Steve Morrow. Unfortunately, two-time Academy Award-winning re-recording mixer, Andy Nelson, and friend of this show, was feeling a bit under the weather and wasn't able to join us, so he had to skip today's recording, but we wish him a speedy recovery. But do not worry. This is a very spirited conversation about the intricacies and challenges of the recording and crafting of such a complex track. If you've seen the film before, you know that it has probably uh, what I would categorize as the most explosive beginning of a film that I have seen in a long time. So that's where we started our conversation, talking about the unforgettable elephant sequence. The opening, you know, scene, this whole opening sequence, uh, it is important, you know, to set the tone, as you said, uh, for the film. And um, with the early conversations with Damien, um, he wanted the soundscape of Babylon to feel like real, visceral, and a little larger than life. Um, he, he basically, you know, one of the first things that, you know, he told us like on the first day of the final mix um, was like, uh, you know, he wanted to, um, the whole opening of the movie up until, you know, the, the title credit um, is to, you know, shatter any like um, cliches associated with that time period. Um, it, you know, even though it's, based in the 20s or something, you know, it should feel a little bit more modern. And, and also to have this, like, um, um, no holes bar roller coaster ride kind of feel uh, in the movie where everything's kind of like, you no, know, so, so the audience would feel like um, uh, everything's a bit larger than life, overwhelming, um, you know, profane, and, you know, all kinds of you know, things could happen. And um, so to start with it um we um you know with the whole opening scene with the elephant scene in the truck um uh he wanted the 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 whole elephant event um to you know to be a little bigger than the real deal so um i had like he sent me some no i saw some youtube videos of the actual um no elephant business and um it wasn't really so pretty you went, big so you went onto youtube you searched elephant shit yeah i know <laughs> it is um once it's not often that um we have to do that but uh yeah it, i just want to know what the title big. of that email was from damien hey check this out <laughs> yeah he actually also like posted like some you know on you know like for during pre pre-production yeah he did post some like videos of like um, you know, elephants like peeing and 
putting stuff. I think it's for all departments, I guess, as a research. There's so much comedy in this film. Um, and, you know, even the even the sound design of that poor truck that's trying laboring up the hill, um, you know, um, and ultimately sliding back. It's just like it's it's it, it, and it's hilarious to me to, to find out that none of that was actually in production because uh, Steve, I understand. I understand that on the day they were actually towing the truck because it didn't. Yeah. Well, it was it was more or less that it was more just for the safety of the crew because we're on a pretty steep hill. And if you can imagine a 400 foot long steel cable that goes out on a crane that's 250 feet high. So this is a giant crane it's connected to the truck, goes from the crane down to a stake bed, you know, two football fields away. And the stake bed is what's pulling the entire rig up the hill together. Uh, and then you have effects guys that are blowing, uh, you know, um, leaf blowers for the dirt to, to make it look like the, the, you know, the wheels are spinning out. And, uh, yeah. And I also have to say that Linus, um, did get covered as well. Our cinematographer, because somebody had to operate that camera. So I have a classic picture of Linus that probably will never be seen, but it's of him completely only dressed in a garbage bag only. Part of the whole truck stuff too is, um, we, we managed to find, you know, obviously, you know, as you mentioned, uh, we had to replace all those, um, engine sounds. So, um, Part of like creating the world um, in the 1920s, you know, we like uh, scouted and recorded a bunch of, um, uh, you know, 1920s uh, vehicles. And um, one of it is, you know, we found like a 1921 or 1922 Ford model TT truck. And uh, we brought the no, the vehicles to like uh, California City Airport and rented that out for the day and uh, to kind of mimic that old. No, it's almost a hundred-year-old engine um, to, to mimic it, like to sound like it's under load and stress going up the hill. Um, we, um, you know, um, tow, we had it, the 1922 truck um, tow a modern-day truck um, and recorded it. Yeah, one of the things I love about this movie, I mean, obviously, you know, it's it's a cliche to call it a love letter to movies, but I I, I loved. Um, how the how Babylon depicts film production during the silent era in the the 20s and specifically I, I love that that uh, kind of the sequence toward the opening where we kind of tour around the the, the kinescope uh, movie uh, set where they're shooting multiple films at the same time you know obviously it's silent so they don't have to worry about capturing production audio so it's just chaos you're gonna get you've got a live orchestra playing for some of these sequences and so uh, you know <clears throat> Steve I remember from our last conversation about La La Land that Damien all, you know, usually sets you up with some pretty interesting dilemmas. Uh, I remember the, you know, you describing to us just the, how complicated it was to shoot that opening freeway song and dance sequence in La La Land. So talk to us about this, this kinescope set uh, experience. And I think, I mean, you had how many extras were out there? Oh, we had hundreds, but I mean, that was our, that was our first day of shooting too. So it wasn't like we eased in, you know, Almost all movies do that, right? The studio is going to pay this huge amount of money. They want to see something big on the screen on the first day. They don't want to see two people sitting in a chair talking. So you end up shooting these giant sequences before the the, the cast and crew know each other, which is great, but it, which adds to the you know to the to the energy of the set. But yeah, that was a day where we had each. So that was you know one big shot of her coming through and seeing, you know, her POV and going all the way around Kinoscope as they're filming the, the four different or five different sets there. 
And uh, Justin had the different uh, music for each set that was playing at the same time. So we would break those out into different channels on Pro Tools so that they were always playing so that when the camera passed by them, they were already going. But they each had their own channel that they could hear their specific sound, their their music in their set, uh, even though it'll play all over each other. But there were people with lines and dialogue and you know, the count was there trying to pedal his drugs and whatnot. So you had to make sure that you had everything, uh, all the extras mic'd, or not the extras, I'm sorry, but all the cast mic'd, and then each set had its own little soundtrack that was playing so that they could play along. Uh, and then when it came to Nelly's set, we set up mics on the drum kit for the band so that, n- not to record to use, but to record for reference to sync up, you know, because drums are hard to, to, to find if it's, you know, one sixtieth of a second. Um, but if you put a mic on it, you can see where it's going so they can, they can line up the music that way. Um, but yeah, Damien's challenge is always on this film, especially he wants the dialogue to feel real. He wants overlaps. He wants, you know, the, the goal was to mic everybody in every scene. Even if you don't have dialogue, you're going to say something, guarantee it, you know, cause Damien's thing was, this is great, but let's go bigger. You know, I think. Margot Robbie had a story where she said, I put everything out there. I was going crazy. And he walked over and I thought, oh, that's it. He's going to tell me to tone it back. And he goes, okay, can you go a little bigger than that? You know, and I think that's kind of the, that was kind of the idea behind the whole film. It's like, let, let's go bigger. Let's go bolder. Let's go, you know, let's go beyond what's reasonable. And then we can pull back from there, but let's just see where that line is. And so that's how we treated it on production. We just went as extreme as we could. So how many mic inputs were you dealing with? It's, it sounds just insane. Yeah, I mean, on that on that day, I think uh, Millie and I counted up. I think it was nineteen or twenty. So it wasn't yeah, something like that. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, which sounds like a lot, but uh, you know, modern day filmmaking when you're doing these bigger films, it's that's a fair, fairly reasonable amount. So it wasn't it wasn't an overwhelming amount. But like, you know, when we were on the battle scene and there was a major orchestra there, normally what you would do is just blast that music out and the orchestra would play along to it, and the the scene would happen, and that's how you get everybody in sync but what we decided to do because uh, uh millie and eileen wanted to, to send jeff and who, who else was sent out the the effects guys basically i had sent out uh john fasal um effects recordist and uh tim walston um he's uh, an effects uh editor uh designer who um helped us uh, on recording they came out to set because and and we i went to production and went to damien and said here's what i'd like to do i'd like to earwig you know, give everybody an earpiece in the orchestra so they can play along, but we don't have to blast out of speakers so that we can record the effects of this thousand people running at each other as much as we can, because that's going to be hard to redo later. And then knowing that we had an effects team coming, it's like, well, we're not going to blast them out and make their day worthless all day. So, you know, it's more work and it was harder, but I think it adds to the the realism of the the movie because it is you know, in the soundtrack, as chaotic as the movie is, it still needs to be grounded somewhere in reality. So you have to, you have to provide the audience with that. So those little orchestras are live performing on set and you captured that. And is, is that what we're hearing in the final mix? That was, No, actually they're, they, they're, they they're just, mim- they're miming along uh, to oh, a pre-record. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we're giving them earpieces so that they can mime perfectly in time. And then, and then that's it. The only thing that was live recorded you know, performance or song wise was, uh, the, my girl's pussy song, right. Uh, that she sang live, but the, but the instruments, (laughs) (laughs) the instrumentation was done later. Uh, that song was, um, uh, 
used to. It was a, actually a, a song from the 1920s. So, oh really? Sorry, sorry, sorry yeah. to interrupt. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, so it was played. I think it's played. I think it's played later in the movie. Uh, you know, in the the history of, of film part of the ending of the movie. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Also, right. when the girl was out cold in the opening party scene, um, when she over. Yeah, I want to get yeah. to that. I want to get to that opening party scene in a minute. But Mildred, I wanted to ask you. Uh, you know, obviously, you've got all this uh, material coming in from Steve and Set. What was your What was your approach to uh, uh, handling all the production tracks? Well, yeah, that was that was like the first scene that I was sent from Tom Cross, picture editor. And um, so I get his AAFs, which are what he has in his Avid, of what he has in his Avid. And, uh, and it was like, you know, 20 tracks of, you know, chaos because everything was going the whole time. And so he, he needed me to do a pass. Well, basically, I did a pass on sorting through it because I had to figure out what do what do we need to hear and when do we need to hear it? Because we have the production, the, everything... Um, because of all the playback, all the dialogue had, had, even though it was, you know, mic'd, everybody had their own mics, all the main characters, everything was tied to music. And so that was fun. I mean, I went through and like just got rid of what I didn't need and, and, um, put handles on it. And, um, and then, um, the, at that first pass early on, I did some noise reduction to get try to get some of the music, some of the playback out. And then I passed it on to Eileen, who then, panned it because she was adding some sound effect a lot of sound effects actually because of all the things that's going on in, in the in the background and in the background and um and then she wanted to pan the dialogue along with her sound effects and um and then subsequently um so some of the extras were mic'd because the ladies who run by and shouting they were mic'd but some of them you know obviously couldn't be mic'd so later on with loop group i went in and, and added stuff and i'll pass it on to Ling now because i know she did some stuff on that too everybody worked on that sequence it was really fun because steve recorded it i started cleaning it up Ling worked on it then um she did a mix on it and then during the final mix andy had to put the real music in and do it like uh, you know work on the mix some more so the idea about like creating chaos is sometimes not just about adding more um it's about what um, what, like, say, you know, it's a film set, right? And so, um, I may add, like, some walla that is of, like, you know, off-screen walla of, like, people fighting or, like, hollering like they are in on a battle or something. And, um, um, some, like, cows mooing and chickens clucking. Uh, things that, like, you may not quite expect from a film, regular film set that it's, oh, no, we also see, but no, sonically, you know, besides you not know, showing what we see, but adding some other other elements that um, uh, hopefully, you no, know, supplementally uh, would you know kind of bring it even more over the top um, to us. That helps create that sense of chaos. I appreciate you using that word chaos. Uh... I, I Ling, and certainly I, I would describe the aesthetic of Babylon as uh, kind of more is more. Uh, and certainly it's that way from a, a visual uh, perspective. And you mentioned earlier the party scene, which is just this gigantic set piece that happens towards the opening of the film. Now, obviously, more is more is not something that necessarily works really well for sound. So I, I would love to uh, have you guys talk about your approach to kind of 
guiding and shaping uh, the soundtrack of the film, maybe talking about that party sequence as an example. Um, Steve, I mean, obviously, I'm sure, you know, your job was just to capture everything possible uh, and, and deliver that on, right? Yeah, and, and the idea in that party scene is that, you know, we would have a, a all the dancers, everybody, all the musicians would have earwigs as well so that we could capture all the, the extras and actors coming in and out of the scene as they're talking. Um, and at the same time, we also had uh, Nellie Leroy on a separate audio channel so she could dance to the song that she wanted to dance to, uh, which was not the song that was played in the movie, you know, because she wanted to, it wanted to be this different type of dance so that everybody was drawn to her. Um, so that was the challenge there where we that was the, the Ace Hotel downtown L.A. in the lobby that was dressed for that. Um, and that was, you know, a massive amount. I think it was a, a week long party that we did. Um to, to create all that. And there's also, there's also something in there. There's a, there's literally a cow that walks through the party and you only see it for like five frames. And, you know, Millie and Eileen did a great job in adding that sound because we're, when we're working and we're, we're, we're mixing, we're doing the thing. I hear a cow and I'm like, where's that coming from? I look over the, the, you know, look over my shoulder and there's a cow just walking through the set. And it only happened one take. And it was like, who brought a cow to downtown LA and walked it through the Ace Hotel lobby? But, you know, we did. So, yeah, so it was good good to, like, emphasize it with sound. Otherwise, yeah. But then the goal was always get the dialogue as the best you can, the cleanest you can, even though there's a party, but also remind people there's a party, so speak up, you know. Obviously, there's a tremendous amount of dialogue going on. You got loud music. You got, you know, you had to put the sound effects of the cow in there. Uh, Eileen, can you talk us through, uh, you know, obviously, uh, you know, you mix the film with Andy, with Andy Nelson. Uh, can you talk about just shaping? How do you how do you present the audience with that much information and what's your approach to kind of shaping it and guiding the audience through it? For the mix, you know, like say this opening party sequence, you know, um, one of the big driver of the whole sequence is Justin's music. Um, that you know, Damien and Tom, you know, um, edited the whole picture with, and um, what Andy does during the final mix, um, you know, because um, the soundtrack for Babylon, the mix is very dynamic, and um, but of course, you no, know, um, Andy and I, we, we um, want to make sure, you know, yes, it's great to be loud, but you know, you don't want it heard. So I, uh, in the during yeah, the final and also mix, you got a three, you got a three hour movie, so you have yeah. to make sure. You have to give the audience a little bit of a rest, right? Yeah. So, so, um, so what, you know, what Andy does is like, you know, when he mixes the music, say for that sequence, um, he would kind of like find, you know, the peak, um, of it. Right. And kind of set that. And, um, so we'll kind of work around that and, uh, partially, you know, to make the music feel like, you know, big and full, bodied and stuff um all the sounds around it you know like some of the since you know the production had a lot of playback going on um so a lot most of the crowd sounds in there um were added uh in post and um so um what and and also you know damien also wanted to show the you know um the craziness and you know um like things going out of control in there so sometimes like, you know, um, we add some like off screen crashes or whatever. And, and because the shot is so dense with multiple planes of action um, to help guide the audience, like maybe like where to look and stuff and say, say one of the panning shots, uh, uh, zooming in shots. Uh, like we you know I add some like um, 
you know, if we wanted to see point the audience to someone like falling and you know, with at like a loud crash on it or uh, tumbling, someone tumbling down the stairs, you know, um, like tumbling, falling uh, and a painful yelling cry. Um, but in the mix, um, we always wanted to make sure that none of those sounds would sound too big versus the music so that it gives you that illusion that the music's always like, you know, on the foreground. I remember talking to Andy and him saying that, you know, as chaotic as the screen always is in Babylon, you know, there's a certain level that you can't necessarily do that to the audience's ears or else you just wear them out completely and then they, they're going to be out of the movie. So he, he, he'd always mentioned that, you know, it was a, is a delicate, you know, juggling act to make sure that the audience was still connected visually and audibly because there's so much going on, but you can't overwhelm everything in the theater or else you're just going to lose everybody. So there's that delicate dance that, that the mix really does. Yeah. That's like only so much information your brain can process at one point. So, um, we just have to be very specific about, um, what we play and when. Eileen, you mentioned, uh, Justin Hurwitz's score and obviously the music is, is really uh, just so important to the film. I know that he and Damien, you know, we're college roommates and their relationship goes uh, way back. Um, did you, I, and I, I know, <clears throat> excuse me, I know that um, Justin was working very early on uh, on the music of the film and feeding tracks to um, editorial. Did you have access to uh, to the score while you were designing and pre-mixing and, and how did that affect the process for you? One of the great things about, you know, working on uh, a Damien movie is, you know, with Justin and, and, and Damien, um, you know, it's not often you get um, the composer on the films. I think Justin sometimes he starts like even during pre-production or before that, and you know, um, and so his music is pretty embedded in the structure of the film by the time I start sometimes, and uh, so uh, even like if I'm working in a assembly cut of the uh, editor's assembly cut before the director's cut, you know, they would have some cues from Justin already. It's just like, you know, roughed out demo stuff. And, and later on things may kind of change a little bit, but um, even, um, you know, as they are editing it, it's all with Justin's um, music and it provides like a good guidance for me um, knowing, you know, for, for us, you know, um, because a lot of, Damon's movie are so rhythmic in every scene and on Babylon that's a lot of like you know with like he had he he likes to shoot it up a lot of like uh um close-up shots of of action and stuff and and doing the quick edits uh that Tom would do um like say off some of the film equipments and stuff and over through Justin's music or even in the, the or even like during the battlefield um, uh, set scene, you know, when all the extras were like going all out and filming and you know, stabbing and like blood gushing and everything and, and over um, the music, um, it allows us to know like, you know, hey, um, yeah, so we would record, um, you know, period, you know, 20 film equipment and stuff um, and um and uh or like the stepping and stuff you know i we can like cut things to risk to the rhythm and also you know the pitch and stuff um even like say the crowd right like uh, uh the walk party when uh, nally's dancing 
and uh, it catches um, uh, Manny's attention and he starts falling in love with her. Um, um, as she dances and then towards the end of it, you know, uh, we start introducing the crowd sounds. Um, you know, a lot of that were added. Um, um, and uh, sometimes like I may kind of like cheated a little bit and kind of pitched the crowd like um, um, uh, wooing uh, and cheering like to the rhythm of the ascending of his music. Because, um, you know, anything, you know, as we all know, um, even with sound, um, anything that's like rhythmic and uh, musical um, always works better. One of the things that really struck me about the film is there's so many um, tonal shifts. We've talked about the comedy and, you know, another scene, another great sequence for that is the the snake bite sequence, which I thought was just uh, uh, amazing and amazing and hilarious. And then, you know, and then you've got the entire Tobey Maguire uh, sequence that shows up later in the film. And, which is just so incredibly tense and unsettling. And I kind of wanted to chew my fingernails off while I was watching that sequence because it just was so, ugh, it, it was, it was, he was, it was so unsettling on so many d different degrees. So I, I'm curious how, w what's your approach to using sound design and the mix to alter the tone of the film uh, and, and to take the audience, you know, take them out of the comedy and take them into this very dark space that the film ultimately goes into the toby Maguire scene when they go to the blockhouse um um you know as you said no this movie uh, babylon has like uh has is, is a movie with like a few different genres you know you have like drama that needs to be real and gritty and you know um and and you have act some action and you have some um comedies satirical comedies and then you have this blockhouse scene that's kind of like, you know, um, takes a darker turn. Um, so uh, th that's another one of those scenes that um, they, uh, Tom, you know, asked me to do a, a, a pass off the design uh, during the assembly cut. And then, and then whatever that did was like sent back into the avid. And when Damien and Tom were editing the scene, they would like, even though, no, by the time they get through it, like everything is like kind of jumbled up and stuff. They may repurpose the sounds that I had done um, to to build it up, and then and then um, Justin would also you know add uh, some music to some of the layers. Um, and uh, the 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 motive is to you know make it like dark and dangerous you know as they are going through all the different levels you need to feel like you're being surrounded by these kind of a little crazy men um people and um and part of it to you know even though you know we wanted the size of the crowd um um but to give it a darker tone like by the time we get to the room with the guy eating the rat um uh Mix-wise, you know, uh, we didn't want the crowd to be too um, distinct, per se. Um, so um, I kind of, like, made them a bit more mono-ish, but filled it out into the space of the room so that they feel like one big blob of body uh, than being so separated. Um, that's one of the things that, like, Damien didn't want Damien wants to feel like it's to just want a whole mess rather than like many feeling many d different in individuals very distinctly. And um, 
and uh, also kind of did some cheat to it and uh, uh, pitched down some of the crowd and stuff and uh, um, to create like, you know, and, and, and added um, some chanting and stuff. Then they didn't have it on set that way. Um, just to feel like it's more like a cult and, um, and, and, you know, um, all the drippy, dark darkness and, uh, atmospheric tone. That's how it was on set. Dark and drippy. We were, <laughs> we, the, this is, so the black house was shot towards the end of production, which we were all exhausted by at that point. But, uh, there were, there were playback tracks, uh, and that first level where the two guys are drumming and the girls are, are, I guess, blood fighting in the, you know, in the cage. And, um, and they said, cut, we stopped playback. And I thought I didn't hit the button. I'm looking, I'm like, there's the playback is done. They're still drumming. The ADs on the walkie saying, cut, 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 cut. Took them, it took them a minute and a half to stop the crowd from, cause they were just going, they were going for it. And the cameras were done. They were walk off set and they were just still going for it. It was like, they had to bring in flashlights and turn on and off lights. It was it was pure chaos. Um, that was the blockhouse on stage. Yeah, there's also a, a story of the alligator who was originally hooked up to plastic um, uh, chains, you know, like you'd buy at the Halloween store. And uh, first take, it kind of snapped the chain, and everybody went, "Uh oh." <laughs> So we took a pause and got real. It was a, not a good idea. It was a re- it was a real alligator. Oh, which yeah. was secured with plastic chains. Yeah, yeah, real alligator that could, <laughs> that could throw you if you wanted to. It's one of those things where you're like, you know, probably it was easier to find aged chains than to. I don't know. It was one of those things where we're all like, uh, "Where'd the alligator go?" <laughs> and the, the, you know, and the wrangler's like, yeah, "Nobody move! Nobody move!" <laughs> like, oh boy. Mildred, uh, Mildred, aren't you glad to be in post and not yes. in uh, production and on set? Absolutely. That was something I learned in film school that uh, I shooting was fine, but I loved being in the cutting room and I loved doing sound. So I feel like I'm in the right place. Well, uh, obviously, no conversation about uh, the sound of Babylon uh, would be uh, complete without discussing the uh, the sequence with Margot Robbie, where she shoots her first sync sound uh, sequence on the sound stage. Uh, which I, I felt to me like just a wonderful homage to uh, singing in the rain. Uh, so I, I really enjoyed that sequence. And, uh, you know, Steve, uh, you know, and on the one hand, I, I've, I've never seen a production sound recordist with that much power before. Oh, you've never been on one certainly... of our sets then, have you? That's all they give us. That's all they give us is all the power in the world. We can say cut. We can tell them to talk. Nah, anyway. We'll, 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 we'll do that on a different podcast. The power of yeah, sound. And so, yeah. And I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure there were times when you w- wanted to give direction to the actors as well. Right. Oh, all the time, every day. No, <laughs> no honestly, it's um, Lloyd. Uh, he was great. That was his first acting job. The sound guy. Wow. That was his first day on a set. And uh, he was actually named after me. So it was Lloyd Morrow. It's on the slate. If you, if it says sound by Morrow, and so, you know, maybe he's my great, great grandfather, you know, in the sound business. But, um, but, uh, yeah, no, we, I mean, it was just like, it's classic stuff that, that he was doing and, and him and I talked and we had a great time. And, and I said, Hey, any, uh, any awards we go to, you're coming with me and you're giving the speech, you know, cause, uh, it's a classic sound moment. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't run it by everybody, but you know, I was just, that was the thought on the day, but, um, no, that was a fun, that was a fun day to shoot. Everybody had a blast. 
Mildred, can you, this is, it's a long sequence. Can you talk to us about kind of shaping the dialogue uh, of that sequence and, and how you built it? You're right. It is a really long sequence. And um, uh, well, first of all, it's beautifully recorded because it's on a, right? Steve, you had like probably the, the most control you ever had uh, recording something. Um, so it's, it's, it's impeccably recorded. It has um, all, it's shot, he used a boom mic and everybody had their own mic. So, you know, presenting the dialogue and, and you know, uh, getting it prep, prep for the mix was was a pleasure. And then um, we used a lot of, um, Eileen used sound effects as well, but we also were able to use a lot of the production effects, you know, footsteps, the uh, suitcase falling, and then and and um, then Eileen supplemented with, with effects, which they all blend so I feel like really well um, to really put you there on that sound set and, and which is great because you feel it just building and building. And then it starts with a lot of control. And once again, as in a lot of scenes in this movie explodes into utter chaos where everybody's fighting and screaming. And, and, and again, in those, that part of the scene, it was really, really great because since everybody was miked, we could, um, we could really pick and choose who you want to hear at any given time. Like for example, when the, the uh, Lloyd, the sound guy, walks downstairs and says, "I hear a high-pitched tone," and one of the extras goes, "It's her voice," <laughs> you know. And so it was easy to like just pull, bring that up. It was so great. Everything um, was was uh, was there for us to use. But I have to say, there's a line in that sequence that it's always been one of my biggest fears because one of my jobs is um, supervising the ADR on this film. And so I have, I always have, um, most of the films I work on, I go to the ADR stage and record lines with the actors. But, but of course, always, they're usually directed by the director. But I'm always worried when I give technical, technical notes, like Lloyd was giving, like, you have to speak louder, you have to speak softer. There's one line Nellie gives where she says, you know, Lloyd, Lloyd, shut up. I listen to my director, not the effing sound guy. And I'm always, that's one of my biggest fears on the ADR stage is uh, having someone say, I'm not taking direction from her, you know? So yeah, I love that sequence. That's only happened to me on set a, a few hundred times. It's fine. You get used to it. Yeah. And and, and obviously it, it's, it's, it's every sound person's dream. You know, they, they kill the cameraman. Sure. Yeah. Well, he deserved it. Yeah, the it. sound guy survived. So yay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is it is Babylon. How sound ruined everybody's lives. That's the full title. Yeah. <laughs> Mildred, you brought up um, ADR. Tell us about uh, uh, you know the recording process, and I, I presume you had a pretty massive loop group on this film. Not as massive as I would have liked. I wanted much more time than I could have, but we may do. And um, uh, but again, one of the, the one of the ways uh, we made this work is that, um, and I started doing this a while ago with Eileen, um, because in the old days, you know, we would just you know shoot like five times more loop group than we would end up using. But in, in a case like Babylon, there was so much to get and so much to record that I coordinated with Eileen and we figured out, like, she's like, I have this covered in effects, you need to get this in loop group or like with the, um, the scene like at the jazz singer, the, the theater scenes jazz singer when Nellie sees her first talking and people applaud and, and, and react. Um, 
those scenes to her. Um, I had to coordinate with her in terms of like, she said, well, I have the bed, but I need little specific, you know, th this person and this person. So um, yeah, it was a lot to get. And um, I ended up, I think I used, um, initially they said, two days. So I tried to get as much as I could in two days. I wanted, I, wanted, I walked in saying, I need two weeks. And they're like, okay, start with two days. Okay. So that's what I did. And then, um, and then uh, we had, um, oh, a pickup day. That's right. I think it was just two days and a pickup day was what we did. But on the, on the second day, but the thing that we, we worked on on the second day was I recorded at this studio in Burbank, um, Aura, sound and um, they have lots of individual booths so and i i was recording uh, loop group remotely and they were inside and then eileen appeared at, at the last second half of the day uh, in the evening with um, um john fasal and uh toby pope pope um and was there anybody else too was that it was there a third person recording Eileen? john and toby oh john and toby and you right and Yes, and so they were outside in the parking lot. So even though we had that, that it was one day of loop group, that second day of loop group, it was actually double time because they were in the parking lot recording extras, I mean, recording loop group for the exterior scenes, like the battle scene, um, when Nellie gets mobbed by her, her fans. So we were doing like both working simultaneously to get the with the same group kind of rotating them inside and outside. Uh, Eileen, I'd, I'd, I'd love to hear a little bit about the mix process. I mean, I know from my conversations with Andy Nelson, he loves his DFC Borg. Uh, when you, so you, you obviously you're doing your sound design uh, and, and editorial in Pro Tools. Are, do you continue working on a Pro Tools control surface uh, when you go into the mixing mode or do you switch to a console as well? I have my uh, little weird small Essex setup. Um, um, not the usual setup, but what's uh, what's weird about your setup? How, how what, what are you what are you doing? I only use like sixteen faders, and then um, uh, I only have like eight of those. I have like uh, uh, with the with the the knot module and the automation module, and then the other eight faders is mostly my like um, VCAs and and whatnot. Um, and it's just like a very compact setup rather than the traditional, you know, fader and all the, uh, automation and not module setups. I'm, I have this habit that, that, you know, um, as I'm like cutting things together, um, um, I would kind of pre-mix, um, as I move along and, um, staying in the same mix template, um, from then on through to the final. We would edit in like seven one monitoring format, and then before the pre-dubs, then um, I would add the uh, uh, object tracks and stuff. So um, you know, to to play around with the Atmos stuff from pre-dub onwards. I see. So so you're working in seven point one as you're as you're designing, but then when you go onto a stage, then you move into Atmos. More people may may not they like start with the Atmos format. Um, but it's just because of the whole office locations and stuff where I was on Babylon. Um, but I think uh, even with that, um, uh, it lends itself, you know, pretty seamlessly, you know, um, going into 
um, pre-dubbing mode and final mode in Atmos. Well, before I let you go, uh, since you brought up Dolby Atmos, and of course we were on the Dolby podcast, I want to ask you, what are your, what are your favorite Dolby Atmos moments uh, in this mix uh, for folks who have the chance to see it in the format, in the theater, or uh, certainly uh, a, a lot of folks have great uh, home Atmos systems now uh when the film comes to, to to streaming so what are what are your uh, your your favorite atmos moments from the mix the good thing about atmos um you know besides all the you know overheads and stuff uh is that you know the surrounds are full range and so you know um in the case of say like um the nelly's uh kinoscope arrival scene you know because like um we have all this music and like dialogue and like activities like constantly like a 360 feel around us um i think it helped it does a great job in you know immersing us into that world and and allows us to like you know um um crisscross all these layers of sounds and uh, and build them into this like um uh, uh, climatic uh, cacophony uh in the scene and uh, also, you know, with so much music in Babylon, um, you know, um, it's so like to, to feel the music and stuff like, you know, um, with the, um, uh, say, like uh, the end sequence when like in Manny's vision um, during that montage, um, that's this whole like free jazz music from like Justin and like uh, uh, I remember like uh, Andy um, they were like panning uh, a lot of the drums all around the room and uh, same thing you know with Atmos you know the full range uh, you can feel you know, you know the, the, the pumping um, rhythm of the drums and stuff all around you during like the kaleidoscopic you know uh, visuals. Uh, Millie, Steve how about you? I have to agree with with Eileen. Just the the fact that you can have the full range of Dolby Atmos in the theater and have that experience the way that you know it's mixed is the the most important thing I think, and and that brings in the audience. I I can't say I have a specific favorite scene, but I have you know everything that happens before the opening title, which is probably forty minutes of the movie. To me, to me, it's just such a great use of Dolby Atmos and to just get you locked into the movie and know what kind of ride you're on. I agree with them too. And as I especially like Eileen love that scene where Nelly arrives at Kinescope. I just, I feel like it just um, brings you right into that world and um, it sounds great. I love it. Well, thank you guys so much for coming on. Uh, I know it's early morning and you guys uh, have a full work day ahead of you. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us about about Babylon. Uh, it's really a remarkable film. And congratulations on making the uh, the sound shortlist for the Academy Awards. I'm curious. We've got the Bake Off coming up this weekend. What, what sequence did you pick to show uh, at the Bake Off this weekend? Oh, you'll have to watch it. That one. Can, <laughs> can, can this go? <laughs> The kinescope scene, of course, of course. I should have, I should have, I should have guessed that. That's a, that's a, that's a great choice. Uh, movie magic, well, movie good making. Luck, uh, <laughs> yep. Yeah, good yeah. luck this weekend. Thank you. And, um, no, thank you. It's thank an you. honor. So you lots of great films this year. Thank you, Glenn. Great sounding. Thank movies. you, Glenn. Thanks for having us. Thank you, Eiling, Mildred, and Steve for joining us today. Babylon is now playing in theaters in Dolby Atmos. We will have a link to the film, as always, in our show notes. But before you go, please make sure you are subscribed to us, the Dolby Institute podcast. 
We're in the thick of awards season, so you can look forward to even more spirited conversations just like this one to help you fill out your Oscar ballot. Whether you are an Academy voter or you simply want to do better in your annual office pool. You can find links to our show on all the major podcasting platforms in our show notes, or you can just search for Dolby wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, thanks again for joining us. This is the Dolby Institute podcast. I'm your host, Glenn Kaiser. Our producer and editor is Michael Coleman. Our executive producers are Amanda Schneider and Jack Ferry. And additional editing by Matt Nixon with production support by Taylor Hines. And our production coordinator is Sonny Chen. Thank you for listening.